I just don't understand. It, it makes no sense to me at all. I can't even wrap my head around it conceptually. I do. I got you. Oh God, is he serious? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> oh man. But um, yeah. Welcome back to the Burn Down the Big Ten podcast. Uh, we're into our second show, and uh, we're on the precipice of week two of the college football season. I'm joined by my faithful co-host, Ben Gorin. Hello. And uh, if you listened to our debut show last week, thank you very much, and uh, we appreciate you coming back. Uh, should have a little bit more to juggle with this week, given now it's no longer speculation. And there's uh, there were teams that played actual games over the weekend at long last. That's right. Football is actually back. What a time. Thank goodness. So uh, we'll give you a quick recap of what happened with all the Big Ten teams this weekend. And then today we'll talk about who disappointed, who was most impressive. And uh, yeah, just do a quick drive by on the other teams in the Big East and the Big West. Other than, um, you know, Purdue faltering against Nevada, it was a fairly straightforward and predictable um, start for a lot of these teams. Although I did neglect to mention, unfortunately, your uh, boys in purple and white uh, were not able to take it to Stanford, unfortunately. So I, I don't, I don't remember that. Oh game. yeah, I must have missed that. Uh, that's news oh. to me. We lost. Yeah, that's seventeen-seven. Okay, yeah, there was it was on bad. That sounds like an exciting offensive showdown. That's well, that's where we live. That's our second home. <laughs> It's great. It's shades of the Ohio State game from what was it, 2014? Yep. I think that's it. Yeah, that was. Yeah. I think, like, the big lesson, honestly, from the first week of the Big Ten is that don't be an idiot with the teams that you schedule. <laughs> I mean, the two really, really dumb scheduling decisions was hosting South Dakota State, which is a very good to great FCS program. Minnesota's very lucky that they didn't pay the price for it. And then Purdue wanted to go on a true road game to a Mountain West team, and they paid the price. Ultimately, week one is just for getting your feet under you. And when you try to do anything more than that, and it's not making you a whole lot of money, uh, don't do it. It's just not worth it. Right. I totally agree. That's why you should schedule a team like Appalachian State instead of, you know, at home or something. Yeah, (laughs) that's never gone wrong. (laughs) All righty. App State was a good FCS team. It's the same thing. I mean, it's Northwestern. No, Illinois State was bad. Um, But it's like when Northwestern lost to New Hampshire in 2006. Just like, don't do it. It's not worth it. Don't schedule any of the Dakotas. No, there. I would. I think I would much rather play a terrible FBS team over a quality FCS yes. team any day of the week. God, yes, absolutely. It's just so much smarter. All right, then. So let's let's jump right into it. Uh, most disappointing because we love to start with the negative stuff on the Burn Down the Big Ten podcast. <laughs> My pick was Nebraska, but you are saying Purdue. And I'm a little curious to hear more about that. I did watch the full game per your recommendation, so I, I am curious to hear your thoughts relative to what I saw. Yeah, so, you know, ultimately, Purdue is not a team that I thought that I thought would compete for the Big Ten West, but it was a team that a lot of people thought would. And then they went and coughed the ball up too many times to Nevada, and they ended up losing a game that they, they outplayed the Wolfpack. They probably should have won statistically, but they didn't keep care of the ball, and that's what cost them. And that's going to be the issue all year long with Elijah Sindelar. He's not David Blau. He's going to make bad decisions all the time. And even with Rondale Moore there to, bl- to bail him out, like Purdue's going to have to fight through that. And starting off with a bad loss on the road, it's not exactly what you want to see. 
No, not at all. And I, I actually looked at their fourth quarter when it started. They were up, it was up 31-14. So Nevada hadn't yet kicked the field goal that would bring it within two scores. Purdue ran 16 plays of offense in the fourth quarter. 12 of those plays were passing plays. So mm-hmm. with a three-score lead, Purdue opted to keep going pass heavy, and they just couldn't take their foot off the accelerator. And I think that one of the, you know, we my big praise for them going into the season was their offense. But part of running a great offense is – knowing the game situation and knowing when you have to go with a more thunderous approach where you're just hammering and running the clock down and getting feeding your running back versus when you have to kick it up into another gear and throw the ball down the field, target different areas of the field to keep the defense honest and, you know, get yourself back in the game and put up points. What that quarter told me was that Purdue doesn't know how to take their foot off the accelerator. And that's going, and I, I do think they're a team where they can come out and hit you in the mouth, and if they do that quickly, you can you can be in a lot of trouble. But it, that game, I did not think bode – I don't think it bodes well for their crunch time performances going forward given just how monumentally dumb the play calling was given how they were leading. And if they just run mm. the clock out on the road, you get out of Reno, Nevada with a win, and you get to go back to beautiful West Lafayette. Yeah, well, it's it's kind of ultimately a chicken or the egg thing, right? Because, you know, on the one hand, yeah, you should probably run the ball at the end of the game to try and chew clock. But on the other hand, could Purdue have gotten first downs just running the ball three times? Only averaged a shade over three yards a carry for the whole game. You know, if you have an offensive line that can't consistently blow the other team off the ball, they're going to have to throw it. And what's really extremely concerning about that is that it's Nevada, I mean, that's not a defensive line that should put fear into anyone's heart. And the fact that you can't just chew up clock at the end of the game, that's going to be a problem. If you get one-dimensional in the Big Ten, you're going to pay for it really quickly. Right. Well, it was an entertaining game. I was very happy that kicker hit it. I think he was a walk-on, and I'm pretty sure he got a scholarship offer in the locker room immediately after the game. And I deserved absolutely, it. I think cash it out from 56. That's, that's insane. <laughs> On opening bad. night, that, that's an incredible moment for that guy. So kudos to Nevada. Yep. They, they made the game very entertaining, particularly at the end. Uh, Purdue's got a long way to go. My biggest disappointment was Nebraska which I warned about on last week saying, look, I don't know if you can trust um, what they've got going on over there yet. Um, last season, they really faltered out of the gate before people thought that, oh, you know, they, they had a strong finish, so that bodes well for this year. I mean, it, it makes me wonder. They went 4-8 and eight. I don't last year, and I don't think that that merits a top 25 ranking, and they're ranked 24th right now, nope. which is crazy they to are. me. And people are talking about their quarterback, Martinez, as a Heisman candidate. And there's a rumor that he was playing. There's a rumor (laughs) he was playing with the flu, which I let fine. We'll entertain that. That'd be nice. But (laughs) regardless of whether he was or wasn't, Nebraska on Saturday went for they the last 40 minutes of the game. They did not score a single offensive point. And they needed three non-offensive touchdowns during that stretch to keep ahead of South Alabama, which before we were before program. we started recording, love the Jaguars. I, think, I believe Ben referred to them as yeah Jacksonville State. Jacksonville so we, State. We couldn't even pin yeah. down which FCS Southern team it was. It's so true. 
I just I, I look at that, especially because they were at home. I mean that that was about I think yep. as disappointing as a start as they could have had. Their defense was okay, but you give up three touchdowns to an FCS opponent. I mean that's it's just has to leave a bad taste in your mouth. And I they definitely have a lot of room to improve, but I I honestly cannot see them really being a realistic power in the big West after what I watched. And you know what? It's a small sample size, but again, against a, you should be killing an opponent like that at home. There's really no excuse for a performance like that. Yeah. I do think though that, and this is what I said in the preview show basically is that, you know, Nebraska has kind of a longer runway in terms of expectations for them to get started. Like, this isn't a super senior-laden team. This is still a team that's going to have to figure a hell of a lot out kind of on the fly. So it doesn't really shock me that they're slow coming out the gate at week one. I mean, basically, if they can just hold on for the first four, probably five weeks of the season, because there's no way they're going to beat Ohio State, they're going to be just fine. Don't you dare jinx us, buddy. Yeah, I I will. Thank you. (laughs) I don't think anyone who knows what they're doing was expecting Nebraska to come out and look like one of the 25 best teams in the country week one. Like that would have been really, really optimistic. The goal for them really is to be a top 25 team in about a month's time. And yeah, there are lots of things you can be concerned about. Martinez didn't look super awesome. Relying on defense and special teams to get the ball into the end zone is never a long-term success plan. But ultimately, as long as they continue to work things out, I'm not worried yet. If this is week three and it's NIU and they're still struggling to put wins up or to get past bad teams, yeah, then I'll start being worried. But for now, Nebraska doesn't super bother well, me. To, and that's mostly because I think Scott Frost is going to get a figure that's, out. That's fair. He's a good coach. But to your point, I mean, their next game's at Colorado. That's that's a very dangerous game, I think, for them, given what just happened uh, in the, the previous weekend. I think Northern Illinois, even though they're playing them at home, NIU, you know, those those MAC teams can be kind of sneaky sometimes, or they'll just, you know, lay down and die. But you never really know what you're getting with them. But then week four, they kick off Big Ten play with Illinois, who you are picking as your team that you were most impressed by this past weekend. <laughs> so I, I, I don't say that in a mocking way. That's right. I, I didn't admittedly yeah. watch well, the game, but I did catch the highlights afterwards. And I, I was impressed, with the at least with the offense, because Akron's quarterback definitely leaves a lot to be desired, not exactly a challenge for you know most Big Ten defenses, I would imagine. But why don't you tell me what you saw from Illinois that you liked on, on Saturday? Yeah, so, and first of all, second most impressive. I mean, the right answer for who is the most impressive is Wisconsin, and I'm sure we'll talk about them yeah. plenty in a little bit. But, you know, Akron is a team that they're not that good. They're middle of the road to bottom half MAC team, but beat Northwestern last year, so it's not like they're a complete pushover. Uh, And Illinois just stepped on their throat in a way that I haven't seen Illinois do in a long time. And, you know, Illinois is kind of in this weird place as a program. They have, like, a bunch of transfers who are coming through. Their quarterback is a transfer. They have a ton of impact players who are all transfers. Um, It's definitely not as far along in the rebuilding effort than um, I think Lovey Smith was planning for at this point. But I thought they did some pretty cool things. Brandon Peters looked better than I was expecting. I thought when they actually had to throw the ball in the first half, he had a really good rapport with some of his wide receivers. Losing Epstein for the year with a knee injury is 
kind of the big caveat with all of this. Losing your starting running back week one against Akron, not super great. But overall, for a program that basically they just need something positive this year, they need something, anything to go their way for at least a little bit of time. I thought they did great. I, I think it bodes well for this season. And I think that the goals that they should probably have for themselves, you know, as you said, they're not going to be a contender, but I don't think that they're quite in that pretender tier either in terms of being the teams that are right under those contenders yet. And I think that they need to make that leap this season. And what you saw, I think on Saturday uh, poises them well to do that. And we'll see how they do against yeah, superior I, competition, but I like it. Right. And like, I don't want to get carried away with it. I mean, I still think at the end of the day, if Illinois gets to six wins, that's a great season for them. You know, get to a bowl game, get a couple extra week practices, go from there. But I, from what I saw in 40 minutes of football and really 30 minutes that actually mattered, probably less games over pretty much after the first quarter, thought that they were well on their way. And they've got a soft schedule. You know, they've got two more non-con games that they should definitely win, and they play Rutgers. So that's four wins right there. you just got to find two more. Yeah, fair enough. All right, let's uh, let's talk about Wisconsin then. Um, they played Friday oh night. They're back? Uh, uh, I don't know about all the way back, but... They're so well, back. Well, I'll tell you what. Shutouts in football, any level, are not easy. I mean, the margin for error in the sport is so narrow that you make one simple mistake or you find yourself out of alignment on one play and a team can go the distance. So I think anytime you shut a team out, period, it's definitely worth commending. The fact that they went on the road, first game playing South Florida, which can be not so easy environment to play in, I don't think. Um, you know, you got Charlie Strong has a lot to prove down there, and I would imagine that they were pretty anxious. And to come in there and just to steamroll them like that, I mean, it was it was very impressive. I, I was impressed by the offense, but the defense in particular was uh, – they, they really put the clamps down, and I thought they had a tremendous day. Yeah, South Florida looked terrible. I mean, Wisconsin just completely ruined their day, like really, really quickly. And if you look at – the current SP plus ratings, um, Wisconsin's the number one team in the Big Ten right now. They're up at fifth in the country. You know, that's not going to stay that way for very long. Yeah, I mean, Jonathan Taylor is extremely, extremely good at football, and he basically won the game. And I think the most exciting thing for Wisconsin fans is that they're using him more out of the backfield, two touchdown catches. The, that guy being a true three-down running back and just never – giving the defense a chance to catch their breath, that could really unlock a lot for them. Uh, Jack Cohn is fine. I mean, as long as he's better than Alex Hornibrook, the team's going to be just fine. Uh, yeah, I mean, what what more can you say about 49 nothing? I mean, it doesn't get any That's better That's a pretty that. good day at the office. I will say that the one pause, the, the, the one thing that gave me concern was they remind me a lot at a, at just based off of this game of Michigan last year in the sense that they're very smash-mouth, um, they're not going to you know, stretch you out much vertically. They're going to pound you into submission on defense and on the ground when they have the ball, and that's how they're going to manage the game. Obviously, I don't think they're going to get these kind of routes against Big Ten opponents, but it does give me a bit of pause con- of, for concern that during the game you didn't really see them do a lot of throws that went that far downfield. And I wonder, 
especially given the struggles they had with throwing last year and in recent seasons, how are they going to be able to open that up? And in those games when you can't manipulate the clock and your opponents with pounding the ball on the ground like that, and you need to you know, either play in the shootout or get yourself back into the game, how are you going to be able to do that? So I think that if a team comes out and hits them in the mouth, I think that they might struggle a little bit. But I think they should they should pretty handily handle every team that isn't as talented as them this year based on what we saw last week. Yeah, and the good news is they play 11 of those teams. I mean, you can be a Big Ten West team that can't come back and can't really play better opponents and win 10 games very, very easily. You've seen it several, several times in the past. Yeah, and Wisconsin's never going to be able to throw the ball well. They're not going to stretch you sideline to sideline ever, and you can definitely put them in bad situations if you can match up with them man-to-man up front. Not a whole lot of teams can. You know, that's why they're not a national title contender, nor will be for the foreseeable future. But class of the Big Ten West, I think it's fair to yeah, say. Yeah, that's, that's probably good enough. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Let's uh, let's move on to some of the other teams we haven't talked about yet. So uh, let's begin with the Big East. Um, you know, all, all our fit, we're hosted on land grant Holy Land again, and we're very grateful for that. So we you know want to make sure that we get all the Ohio State analysis in that we can. Um, I had a piece that went up earlier uh, this week on Monday. Uh, just kind of going over that initial offensive spurt that Ohio State had against Florida Atlantic. Um, I really don't think that there's any reason to read into anything other than maybe Justin Fields' first touchdown pass. Florida Atlantic, Lane Kiffin, I have no idea what he was doing for the first nine minutes of the game. He, he was putting people in the most bizarre alignments I've ever seen for defending pretty much any play that the Buckeyes were throwing out. It, it, he was putting five-man boxes up against when Ohio State had two tight ends tagged onto the, the strong side of the it's line. It's not good. It, it, nothing not made good. sense. No, it's not. <laughs> um, but I thought the defense showed a lot of promise for what's to come, and I was I was very pleasantly surprised with what I saw from them. I don't know about yeah, you. I think you know, they covered the spread in the first quarter and then took their foot off the gas. It's kind of that simple. I mean, once you put up 28 points in the first quarter, why would you show anything? past that so yeah it is is a great performance justin fields looked great had that great running touchdown that i'm sure people are going to remember for a long time yeah and there's nothing to be worried about for ohio state quite yet jk dobbins probably shouldn't fumble but i mean other than that it's perfect dobbins was doing he was doing a little bit too much and that's kind of you know i thought he was a really really solid player from the moment from that first game as a freshman he had against Indiana when he went for 179 yards in his debut, but he's kind of slowly picked up some bad habits in recent years that kind of remind me of the habits that Mike Weber also fell into. And that, that gives me a little bit of concern that, you know, he'll, he'll, he kind of tries to go for the big play sometimes instead of, you know, just getting the, getting the first down or the falling forward. But um, Having fields we'll, we'll right next to him is going to help a lot, though. I mean, that's going to open up so many oh, lanes for him. Oh, it absolutely will. 
And we didn't even really see other than that field's rush, rushing touchdown, which again was more a product of a really terrible alignment by Florida Atlantic than anything else. He didn't really use his legs that much. And the way that he did use his legs for getting out of the pocket and then not really throwing the ball away once he did that was not great to see. But he's, again, he's a young guy and he was excited as his first game. So it's understandable he would want to make big plays. The, the big takeaway, though, again, for me was, you know, Chiano left a stench on his team the last two years with religiously only playing man coverage against every team. And then Michigan kind of to a certain extent was also manning up a lot last year and then got exposed when they finally went up against a team with similar, if not better talent in Ohio state and man coverage is just not going to be able to suit you well in that sense. So they played very basic zone all game. They did it with Michigan's coaches from last year and I was impressed, and it. I think it bodes well for uh, the future, and I think that that being more dynamic on defense is really going to suit them well uh, further down the line. Yeah. It must All be right. fun to beat okay. FAU by that much. <laughs> <laughs> Schedule them oh every week. Gosh. Play Lane Kiffin all the time. Oh, no. no. Well, to be fair, he, you know, they they cleaned it up a little bit after those opening nine minutes, but Ohio State definitely was going into a more conservative uh, game plan at that point. Anyway, let's move on. Uh, Michigan, I was also very impressed by Michigan solely for the fact that, um, you know, my biggest critique of them has been, are they going to be able to kick their offense into a higher gear when the situation calls for it? They fumbled the ball against Middle Tennessee on the opening drive at home. That's definitely an uncomfortable and a bit of an adverse position to be in. And then Shea Patterson proceeds to throw three consecutive touchdown passes on vertical plays. And I think that if you're a Michigan fan and you saw that, granted, it's Middle Tennessee, but that kind of over-the-top aggressive, we need to get back in and take control of this game play calling that you saw, I think should be very, very encouraging on top of what's going to be a very, very good defense. Yeah, and they did they did it without their best playmaker. Donovan Peoples-Jones didn't suit up. They got Tariq Black back, and he had a big game. But you know, DPJ is a freaking player on the outside. He's really not fun to go up against. And you know if they get him back at full speed, I mean, there's, a, there's a lot to go with if you're Shea Patterson. I mean, you can hit whoever you want. Um, yeah, I mean, it's you, you kind of see these. These it feels like I'm saying the same thing over and over again. You know, they got out of the box well and they did fine. Um, it's not basically if you get out of week one without any huge question marks, you've done your job. Yeah, Michigan didn't bring out any of the good plays. You know, they ran all their base stuff and they put up 40 points without their best playmaker. It's awfully good. I'd take it. Yeah, absolutely. All right, I think. Considering they played Middle Tennessee, we can leave it at there for uh, Michigan this week. And uh, don't want to drive away any of our Buckeye <laughs> listeners either. So, uh, well, they can come on back because we're going to give Michigan State a lot of shit yeah. right now. So, uh, not man, good. How gross was Michigan State's offense on really Saturday? Bad, dude. Like, it's very, very troubling. I mean, it's a, that was as bad of a performance as you can have in a game where you give up negative seventy-eight rushing yards which is incredible. Oh. It's, it's a pretty good defensive showing. But yeah. you know, Tulsa, you can only go by basically what you saw last year. And last year, Tulsa was one of the bottom 30 defenses in the country. And Michigan State's offense looks the exact damn same as it did last year. Yeah. It's more that 
it it's really more did. than just like it's not working. It's just it looks the same. And you know the musical chairs that they played with their staff, it uh, had, doesn't seem to be doing much. You can only watch Lewerke get throw the ball two yards underneath and try and run into a crowded front and not get anything oh, so many times before you just lose your mind. And I think there's a lot, a lot to be afraid of if you're Michigan State. This was never a game they were going to lose. Tulsa sucks. There's no way they were going to lose this game. But to be so blasé on offense, yeah, that, that is not – that is the last thing you wanted to see. Yeah, it really is – perplexing in a sense that you get an entire off season to develop and re and implement new stuff and, you know, change things up. They did not look like they have put any sort of effort whatsoever into improving the offense from last season. And that's going to be very, very difficult for them down the road. Uh, It makes me wonder. Oh, go ahead. It's like that classic like defensive coach brain crap that you see all the time that basically, you know, we can win with defense only. And like, as long as the offense will put up a couple of touchdowns and not give too terrible field position, we can win. And it's just so outdated. I mean, it's just not how you win football anymore. Nope. Like Michigan state is not going to be a good team. If this is what their ideal is on offense, just a team that grinds it out and scores just enough to win. That's a really they, good way to lose a lot of really dumb football games. They and and on that note, they play Western Michigan this weekend and I I don't know how good Western Michigan is, but I always they're I guess they won last week and again, they're a, they're one of those sneaky map teams, but <laughs> I always they multiply. I I just it's an in-state I don't know I don't, probably not a rivalry but it's an in-state game and I bet Western Michigan obviously would like to upset them and I just don't know based on that often I mean are they going to be able to consistently get points when they need them they, I definitely do not think they're going to be able to get back into games once they lose their leads when you have an offense that bad there's no such thing as a game that you are 100 percent sure you're going to win I mean, I've seen it with Northwestern. It's just the bottom line is your margins just become so small yeah. that I've if seen something it with the weird happens, yeah, I mean, pick your team. <laughs> like when something weird happens, you don't have the cushion because you cannot go and put points on the board. I, I would bet my life on Michigan State dropping some stupid game this year. And you know, maybe it's Western Michigan next week. Maybe it's something weird in season where they outplay a they team. They play at Rutgers November 23rd. They'll be Rutgers. But, you know, there's, there's, <laughs> there's absolutely going to be a game where, you know, you look at it, it's like, boy, how the hell did Michigan State lose this game? They're going to outplay teams and lose just because when your margins are small, you allow dumb stuff to happen. It's why the best teams score a lot of points. If you look at basketball, will, it's why the best teams play fast because it gives you more opportunity. Absolutely right. I will say that I think um, I think a more likely scenario is that we don't we don't have very high expectations for them, and they find themselves. You know, they play Ohio State, Wisconsin, and Penn State uh, in back to back weeks and back to back to back weeks in October. They have a bye week between Wisconsin and Penn State, but three ranked teams in a row. And I think that there's a much more likely scenario where you see they're on the verge of beating one of those teams. And then, you know, they, they for whatever reason, because the offense can't keep uh, their own defense from having to come back on the field, you're probably going to see another team come back against them and beat them. And then 
yeah, to what you're saying, the, it'll be a game that they should have won and uh, let slip away, unfortunately. So I, I, think I, I don't you, expect – go ahead. I think like if you compare them to Nebraska, right, because both teams are top 25 teams coming into the year. Both teams had a really disappointing week one. I think the reason why this game actually bothers me and Nebraska doesn't is that Michigan State has too much damn experience to be this bad. You know, there's no no one's expecting Michigan to grow into their team this year. Michigan State to grow into their team, like this is a team that should, of any team, come out week one and be as close to a finished product as you can be in week one. And for them to look that awful on offense, I mean, where's the potential for growth? Is it actually going to get better? You know, maybe no. they're just keeping all the good plays locked up until they play Northwestern, but. Ugh. I mean, Lewerke regressed last season as a thrower. So remember when I mean, he was supposed to be a Heisman candidate? He's bad. I, He's a bad college I, quarterback. I He's don't remember good. that, but wow, that's very shocking. <laughs> All right. Anyway, I think that's enough of the Big Ten East. Although, again, we want to give our congratulations to Rutgers, who were getting clowned on Twitter when they were down nope. at the end we of the first give them quarter. Congratulations, though. We don't. I do. Uh, why? They, they deserve nothing. Because you know what, man? They've, they've had it rough. They've been oh, yeah? the little sisters of the poor in the Big oh, Ten yeah? since they joined. I mean, they've there's be there's a dedicated there's a dedicated article on SB Nation that tracks all of the touchdowns Rutgers has historically scored against Ohio State. Like they, they are very, very far from you know being legitimate contenders, I think, in this conference. So you know what? It's not easy for any team when they go down like that in the first quarter at home and you're getting booed by your own fans on opening yeah, night. Ooh. So for them to rip off, I think it was, I think, 41 unanswered points for the rest of the game. I know it it's sucked. UMass, but you know what? Kudos to them. That's not easy to do. It's it, it's hard to, you know, when you've been kicked like that on opening night, you know, you really have to have a come to grips moment and say, what are we going to do here? And they And they responded about as well as you can, so. Kudos to them. Rutgers is tired for your shit, and they're coming for your ass, Ben. They're going to lose by 40 on the road against Iowa, and then they're going to lose a game against Boston College. Then they'll get trounced by Michigan, and they'll probably lose to Maryland, and then we can forget about them again. Yay, Rutgers. All right. Get them away from me. Get them out of here. (laughs) What did the state of New Jersey do to you as a child, Ben? All right. Do we, like, actually want to get into why Rutgers is not worth my time? I would rather get into the bit. I would rather get it in the Big Ten West or the remaining teams. So, I mean, we we already talked about Purdue. We talked about Minnesota already and Illinois. Um, you you just brought up Iowa. Uh, I wonder if you have any thoughts on how they did. They, you know, they I think they delivered about the expectation that they should have for uh, the game this week. Yeah, I mean, it was fine. I, yeah. I think most of the Big Ten West got away okay. If they played Miami of Ohio and stomped them. Great. Scored 38. Cool. Kept all the good plays in the back pocket. Awesome. I mean, the big game for them is going to be El Asico against Iowa State. It's probably going to be the first game where we actually know what they've got going on. Um, But, yeah, I mean, they they got away okay. That's ultimately all you're asking for. Iowa, you did did fine. You won 38-14 against uh, a not-sneaky Mac opponent. Like, maybe the only not-sneaky Mac opponent. So, you know, kudos, but... Whatever. We could go over Indiana, but, I mean, they, they only beat Ball State by, what, 10 points, I think, and they had a they were rolling out a freshman quarterback. So, But he, their quarterback you know, is named Mike Penix. Yeah. It's, it's a, a great good name. name. Mike Penix Jr., actually. Yeah, well, yeah, that's true. And he threw for, like, 450 yards. 
He did. This has been your Indiana content for the week. <laughs> <laughs> he uh, he did have some pretty bad decisions. I thought he made on throws, but he's a freshman, so I mean, I think those are to yeah. be expected. So be it'll fine. be. I think it'll be a growing pains year for Indiana, but it's. Uh, I think that you know. As early as next season, they could be a you know a team that strikes fear in the heart of some of their uh, more powerful opponents going forward. So we'll we'll see what happens. But we're uh, we're running pretty close to our uh, time limit here. So why don't we uh, Ben and I will give you what we think will be the games of the week this weekend for our uh, Big Ten teams, and uh, we'll uh, send everybody on their way. So Ben. Uh, this Saturday, September 7th, which Big Ten team has caught your eye? Oh, man. I'm, like, really tempted to just double down and say Vanderbilt-Purdue because Purdue could lose again. <laughs> and that'd be really fun. Like, ah, I told you you're going to be 0-2. Yeah. Uh, the obvious choice is Cincinnati-Ohio State. I'm not worried about Ohio State winning that game. The game that people think is going to be close is Army-Michigan. It won't be. Michigan's going to be just fine. I don't know. Vanderbilt-Purdue is interesting to me. I... I kind of want to see Syracuse Maryland just because I want to know you know how legit Maryland is um yeah I'm gonna basically say exactly what I said last week which is that Purdue is playing a game where they can lose and Minnesota is playing a game that they can lose because they're going on the road to go play a Mountain West team stop doing that a Mountain West team that probably should have beaten USC last weekend, if we're being honest. Yeah, Minnesota's uh, not in a good way going into that game. That's no. absolutely one that they could and probably will lose. And that was and that was my pick, actually, for the game this week, because I think Fresno State is really going to yeah. give them a pretty pretty extreme challenge. Uh, it Late is a 10.30 p.m. Eastern Ooh. game, so for you listeners in Columbus and on the <laughs> East Coast, you uh, might want to... Drink a couple cups of coffee on Saturday night for that one, but otherwise, yeah. Dark. Cincinnati, Ohio State's definitely going to be contentious. It's uh, Luke Fickle's return to Columbus, um, and Big Ten play kicks off this weekend with Rutgers at yeah, Iowa. So if you're yeah. if you're a purist, you're there. You go. It's it's already uh, it's already underway. So I uh, look forward to seeing that. I think Nebraska, Colorado is another one that you could potentially see an upset there. That should be interesting. Yeah, this uh, is like a scary week for the Big Ten. Like, there's a is. full handful of games where you know you can take a second look at it and feel kind of nervous. Yeah, even Central Michigan, Wisconsin—that's the battle for JJ Watt. So that's a that's quite <laughs> a rivalry right there. So. Uh, well, we'll wrap it up then uh, with that. And uh, we want to thank everybody once again for listening uh, to the end. And uh, we will be back next weekend, hopefully, with even uh, spicier takes regarding what we see saw from uh, the upcoming Saturday and how it bodes well for the future. So uh, for Ben Doran, I'm George Eisner. And uh, thank you very much for listening to the Burn Down the Big Ten podcast. And we'll see you next Friday. Take care.